2: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, the Players Championship DraftKings picks and preview. If you out there want to get into a draw for 100 DraftKings dollars, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast, leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle something you enjoy about this show, and boom. You're in that draw for 100 DK bucks. For the $20 DK draw, smash the thumbs up to the video. Then leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Give me your favorite sleeper below $7,000 for the Players' Championship, and you'll be in that draw. Winner's announced on Monday show. Go back. And check out Monday's show with Jeff Feinberg for the entire betting breakdown. Wednesday on the Pat Mayo Experience, live at noon Eastern. My final betting card, a weather update, update on all the news and a live chat, uh, interacting with everyone. Then Friday, we will be doing the Cut Sweat Live. Sometime on Friday afternoon, I will tweet out that time. So follow me at the PME on Twitter, and you will know what time to come sweat along with us as our teams and bets just end up wet in the water. And it's not going to be fun. That's what happens every year at the players. And when I bring in Roz and Rick, I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I also have one more giveaway for you out there. I'm releasing a bunch of stuff on Instagram as well. So follow me at the PME on Instagram. You see a golf or football or any sort of sports-related content go up. Give that a quick heart. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comments. You will be in a draw for twenty DK dollars as well. And if we get over three thousand audio reviews, I'm gonna like double or quadruple those giveaways for the hundred bucks. So do the audio reviews, people. It's it's the lifeblood of the podcast business. Need your help on this one. Other stuff. All the stats you will see on the screen will be provided by FantasyNational.com. Also, all the stats, all the tools. You just really want to become a member at FantasyNational.com, and if you use slash PME at the end of that. Get yourself 20% off in the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Listeners League, 4,000 spots this week, $15 to enter, no rake. It is filling up very quickly. You can find the link in the description of this video or podcast. Time to bring him in from awesomeo.com, Ben Raza at Jazz DFS. What's going on, my man?
1: What's going on? Yeah, happy to be here. Happy to talk to little players. Rick Gaiman at
2: Rick Rungood, DFSOnDemand.com. How are you, sir?
0: I'm doing well. I'm uh, also very excited to have the crew back together. This is going to be a good one.
2: Yeah, so hopefully we can figure out a winner or at least try to impart some advice that isn't horrible because this tournament, not great. I went back and looked at my notes from 2018 and my notes from 2019 and it's the exact same thing that's written down in my historical notes. I try to reference these every single tournament that I do, because, you know, what I thought last year would hopefully have some relevance to what I think this year, and it just both times says, quote, don't invest a cent in the stupid fucking tournament,
1: close quote. So that's where I'm at. (laughs) Yep. Same notes for me. Like I said right before the show, it's going to be quick, because uh, I couldn't have summarized it any better. I don't know. Something about Sawgrass and me just, I mean, I'm not going to get on a web rant, we just started the show, but this course, things happen that usually don't work to my advantage.
2: Rick, like, what do you think the strategy is here? Because I'm looking back, I went and looked at my lineups from last year. Went and looked at my notes from last year. I feel like on paper I was doing pretty well. Did not turn out that way in the results. There's such a high degree of variance at Sawgrass because of all the water. And it's like one bad tee shot or two bad irons, and all of a sudden you are out of the tournament. That, honestly, if I see anyone projected for over, like, 20%, I'm just insta fading them. Like, why not?
0: Yeah, I, I think that is generally a good rule of thumb. Where the courses that have the most volatility, like we usually see down here in Florida, anybody who gets super chalky, and we'll talk about who those guys are going to be, are probably a good fade. Uh, I think the other thing is, and we were kind of mentioning this before we came on, the pricing is not only super soft, but with a field this deep, there's actually playable guys, or at least somewhat playable guys down towards the bottom. So you can kind of avo- you can make any lineup that you want. Uh, so you don't have to be on like the four chalkiest guys on the slate.
2: So Ben, I I was trying to work my way through lineup construction because we mentioned some of the guys at like the very men who actually are playable this week, which means you're going to see a lot of Rory Rahm, Rory Justin Thomas, Rory whoever lineups uh, because you can actually fit these guys in. I actually think the way to go could be like the not st- like it's usually stars and scrubs or balanced lineup. I think you can get away with a balanced and scrubs lineup here. Take like three nine k guys, an eight k guy, and two guys in the sixes or something like that.
1: Yeah, I build like that a lot. Uh, I always call it hybrid balanced. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds <laughs> somewhat interesting. And it's like you take three or four guys in that like second or second tier, and then you can round it out with two cheapies. Uh, but you know the the flat min guys are going to correlate so strongly with Rory you're really not leveraging there. But when you build it like that, you get plays that are honestly not crazy, but the permutation of them make them unique uh, within the lineup.
2: So the way that I'm seeing it right now, if we're talking about like balanced and contrarian, Rick, I think I need to start all my lines with Brooks and Jason day.
0: (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) I actually think that basically anybody uh, below the top three. So Besides Rory, Rahm, and JT, so under there, so Brooks down to Adam Scott or Xander Shoffley is like the most leverageable spot. You know, I imagine a lot of people go up, get one or two of the big studs, then they jump down to Webb and Bryson and start building out from there. I think the, you know, obviously those guys have a, a significant portion of win equity at the top, but the, the next tier where nobody's going to go, the Adam Scotts of the world, I think those are like that five guy span is like the most leverageable.
2: So, Ben, the way I see it shaking down is almost exactly what Ben said. Like, people are going to either go up to the big three and take two of them, or they're going to take one of them and pair them with one of the 9K guys. So, like, what I'm seeing right now is the three top guys. So, Rory and Rom and Justin Thomas are all going to carry significant ownership. Rory, right now, at least when we're recording this, the most of everyone. And there's no real reason not to like Rory. He's playing great. He's the defending champion. I get it. Uh, I'm probably not going to have any of them because, you know, I like to light my money on fire, but this is the way that I'm going to approach it. So you either have two of these guys or one of these guys, and then Cantley, Webb, or Bryson, or Hideki seem to be the next popular in line.
1: Yeah, I think that checks out. I mean, it usually popularity comes with logic. I mean, there's a reason that people are going to go to Rory's, the defending champ. He's on fire. But to me, and listen, I'm going to have plenty of Rory. I think he's a great fit, of course. I think DJ is actually pretty sneaky. Um, we haven't seen him dur- during the Florida swing yet. At Mexico, I think people just expected him to win once again. And he actually played already, just couldn't putt, uh, easily could have won a Genesis too. So I feel like he's somewhat in a i don't want to say a dead range because he's you know up there and he's going to garner some ownership but if you're just looking for a guy that i don't think is getting nearly as much buzz dj is actually a pretty interesting starting point
2: rick would you rather start with brooks or dj
0: oh certainly dj i mean i'm not seeing any signs of life from brooks and kind of all of his game is in a bad spot right now he's he's lost strokes putting Four in a row. I don't have another instance in my database where he's done that uh, and is off the tee and approach game is not picking him up at all. Uh, I I agree with Ben. I mean, DJ's played okay. The last time we saw him was the WGC Mexico. He lost like six strokes putting. It's the second worst putting performance he's had in like the last three or four years. Like I would much, like I'm not super stoked to, to run out and grab either of them, but I would much rather play DJ over Brooks.
2: So what would it take? What would you have need to see from Brooks, Rick? In order to change your mind, because his final round at the API, he gained off the tee, he gained an approach, he gained around the greens, and he gained on the greens. It like It was a nice round.
0: Yeah, I think for me right now, it's it's not so much about the birdies. It's the fact that he's making a ton of bogeys along the way, and he's always. It seems like he's making a lot of big numbers. And when you're playing down on the Florida swing and you're not exact with your tee shots or you're you know two yards off on your approaches, you can put up a big number pretty quickly. And then I feel like what we get with Brooks sometimes. This is obviously very narrative based. Is kind of once he's out of it, like you're not getting much of a grind to get back into it. So he almost has to start really well. Like if I knew he was gonna. To go out and play well in the first round, or at least okay in the first round. I'd be much more optimistic. Obviously, I have no way of knowing that, so I, I just am like almost in full fade mode at the moment.
2: Uh, ben, I think of the big three. If I'm going to venture up and spend that kind of money, I think Justin Thomas is going to be the guy for me. I think he's he's going to be very highly owned. Like I'm going to guess somewhere between. 17 and 22% in the millionaire maker. And I still think that makes him the lowest owned of the big three. So I like that you get the price break and there is the possibility that he kind of sneaks through the cracks. Cause no one gets super excited about owning Justin Thomas.
1: No, he's going to be, I think you kind of just said it. He's going to be popular, but at the same time, he's going to be lower owned than guys like Rory and Ram. Um, Listen, he's an, a fantastic player. Just conceptually thinking about what I want to do this week. He probably gets squeezed because I, I like Rory. Rom, I mean, he was my, he should have won last year. That's neither here nor there. Uh, And then you've got DJ and balance builds that I'm interested in. So I'm just not sure how, if I can get leverage on like a 20% owned JT.
2: So I'm still toying around. I was toying around with the idea of betting Brooks at 40 to one. And now I'm toying around with the idea early ownership projections have him coming in at 5% ownership, because even if you just look at him, he's 40 to one on the betting card. That is DraftKings price way higher than all these guys that are like 20 to 1 and 25 to 1 and 30 to 1. Like he seems out of place, but if you're gonna give me a shot, you don't need so much Brooks. Like if I build 20 lineups, I don't need to play 15 with Brooks. Like if you play Rory and you only play 20 lineups, you need to probably have at least 10 to 15 Rory lineups. If you really wanna smash with the rest of your combinations with the ownership that he's gonna come in with, that with Brooks, well, four of 20, I, I think you're doing okay.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I'll say real quick is that the pricing came out, you know, when they have these big tournaments, the pricing comes out early and Brooks, you know, if he would have played fantastic at API, no one would be saying this, but seeing what we saw again, now you look at 10-2 and it's just out of whack.
2: Uh, Rick, the 9K level, which I talked about, if you want to start your balance builds and like DJ's, you know, he's the even $10,000. So maybe it's him you could start with, but Cantley Scott, Xander, Webb, Bryson and Fleetwood. I like Cantlay by far the best of these guys.
0: Uh, probably not uh, in a vacuum. Like I, I like Bryson the most, but I think that Cantlay is probably the optimal like game theory, try to win a million bucks type of play here, because he's coming back from the, the deviated septum surgery. We just haven't seen him. And when you haven't seen a golfer, everyone tends to forget about him. And then you put him in a field with all of the other biggest names in the world. And it's just very easy to overlook how well he was playing before he had the surgery you know the fourth at the tournament of champions 11th at pebble beach 17th at the genesis and then nothing since and i don't know if it's impacted his practice or whether he's been able to play or not but like yeah he's still a top 10 player in the world who no one will own
2: uh rick who do you think you would take from this if it's not like you know bryson's going to carry the ownership like you mentioned but like, is he still the guy that you would build around
0: I mean, I guess it depends, right? Like I I'm all in on Bryson. I, I don't know. I firmly believe he's like going to win this tournament. The guy's doing unreal things off the tee right now. So like, it's, it's hard to kind of, uh, if I'm going to play him, I'm obviously going to have to differentiate other, other places. Um, I'm still on the Xander boat, you know, Xander for playing what is below his expectation to rattle, be be, still be rattling off, you know, four top 25s. Um, His putter came to life last week at the API. The the ball striking wasn't as good. Like he's going to figure this out. Um, So those are the two that I'd probably focus a lot of my attention on.
2: Ben, where do you think you're going to go with all this?
1: Yeah, it's a tricky range. Uh, I like Bryce. I mean, people are going to play Bryce, and there's no doubt about it. His off the tee numbers are ridiculous right now. His form is ridiculous. After that, I mean, we haven't seen Cantley, as you guys mentioned. And then there's Fleetwood, who's coming off. You knew he was going to get cut eventually. I don't really worry about that. Uh, there's a lot of variance, as we all talked about, at these Florida courses. I think, of course, that'll suppress his ownership somewhat think he would be third for me, but Bryson and Cantlay, which are probably the chalk options in the nine K range, just honestly, how I view it.
2: So I think people still will go to Fleetwood because I mean, it's not, if they watched two weeks ago, he came second. So that sticks in people's mind. And the more casual player in the millionaire maker, like we're going to see this week, probably don't, doesn't even know the- Tommy played last week because he wasn't around on the weekend, but they'll look at his course history. Oh, fifth last year at Sawgrass, seventh year before. He's never missed a cut at the Players' Championship that maybe they end up going with him. I'm kind of torn on what I want to do, but I think it's going to be, it's not just going to be Bryson who's chalking. I don't think it's going to be Cantlay after that. I think everyone's going to be on Webb Simpson, and I find (laughs) it hard to disagree with that.
0: That's that's the guy, right? I mean, I, I assume Bryson and Webb come out of here as the two chalkiest guys. So um, I love Webb. He is having the best year of his career uh, outside of 2011. That 2011 season turned in multiple wins, uh, multiple second place finishes. He was piling up top tens everywhere. And he's just going to do it a lot differently, right? He's not going to do it like Rory does it where he's going to gain six strokes off the tee or something ridiculous like that. But he's going to put himself in position. Um, I always like the guys that back up their wins with like another Good performance in the year they defend. So he wins it two years ago, finishes T16 last year. Like, this is such a good course for him, and Webb is so ridiculously good.
2: So, Ben, I think that kind of hits on what do we want to really target in terms of skill set? Because Webb not only plays really well at this course, he tends to dominate all of like the lower end corollary courses and you can say hey people don't go and play those tournaments so of course Webb shows up him and Kuchar and Kisner are like the three best guys in every one of these fields and they clean up at the Wyndham and Heritage and Sony Open but I do think those courses really do show a correlation between there and maybe not at the very high end and maybe it's more of a mid-tier or low-end pick but I think that if looking at those courses in particular can really unlock a lot of value this week
1: definitely uh what you said though is a huge distinction for me like when i worry about course fit and stuff it's incredibly important when i'm trying to get my last man in or a 6k guy these guys up here i don't think there's really i mean yes do they have preferences of course but if any of them play well uh it's going to be lights out now Webb, (laughs) i don't know what to do with him because as rick said he does it differently that's putting it mildly um (laughs) I don't know what it is, the voodoo magic. He was not good in Mexico for a change, but ever since, and I can't listen. For a long time, I said that Webb was on a ridiculous putting streak. It's going to regress. He's obviously found some things with the putter that are sustainable. I don't think he's this good with the putter long-term. That remains to be seen. So it is what it is. There's no chance that I can get leverage on Webb. Uh, It's just not going to happen, and if that – burns me it burns me but at this price no chance that I'm overweight
2: so if that's the case and we kind of agree that Bryson and Webb are going to be where people gravitate towards I think that does open up a lot of ownership maybe not necessarily free ownership on Cantlay but instead of like 22 percent like he normally is he's like 12 percent something like that and Rick you kind of hit on the key name Adam Scott kills this course he's won here he makes the cut almost every single year he's finished inside the top 16 the past four years I just I don't I don't know how I really feel about him and I don't know why.
0: Yeah, there's really nothing to not like about him. You're, you're right. He's got the absolute elite course history, probably the best in the field. He has won, what, two of his last four starts worldwide, something like that. It might be two of three at this point. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's absolutely rolling. It's just like, I don't know, nobody likes to play him. Nobody likes to see that broomstick out there. But uh, when he when he gets it going, he's, he's basically unbeatable. I, that is, I don't know what ownership he's going to come in at, but that's a super – Interesting spot for him at 96.
2: Well, using fantasynational.com right now, and again, slash PM, you get yourself 20% off, and these update in real time. I have Scott right now coming in around 14%, which puts him right around Cantley, just a percentage above Xander, and significantly behind Webb and Bryson. It's like in the Tommy range, but. This is still very early in the week. People are going to gravitate towards different things. They're going to hear that, hey, web's going to be popular. Like, oh, I'm not going to use web then. And then they'll go to Adam Scott. Then all of a sudden, the web is down in the dumps. I would really try to pay attention to this, Ben, like as long as you can. And we haven't even talked about like weather splits or anything like that yet.
1: Yeah, these are, th- listen, I-, I know that, but, you know, for a lot of casual people who may not play golf every week, when you get a field like this, the honest truth is it's really hard. It's almost impossible to differentiate between the top tier players and little things like ownership, weather draws, splits, correlations. That's how you have to structure it. Because again, I mean, I've said, and I strongly believe this. If everyone plays their best, Rory's going to win. But most likely Rory's not going to p- bring his A plus game. And if any of these other guys do, it's probably going to be them. And there's 20 of them up top here.
2: I think that's pretty sharp. So let's talk about the 8Ks because I think this is is where it really gets interesting because you could roster four of these guys if you really wanted to and make your team that way because Fowler kicks it off at 8,900, Hideki at 88, Rose, Sungjae, Reed, Day, Woodland, Casey, Finau, Louis, Sergio. That's the entire range. Jason Day obviously withdrew last week with a back injury just like he did at the API last year and then kicked came out and played really well with the players ended up inside the top 10 so he's really tricky when it comes down to it but right now I'm seeing the highest ownership on Hideki and Sungjae and it's not super close with anyone else
0: do we think that like everyone is just going to be like outside of like three or four guys everyone's just going to be like 12 percent owned because you can spread this out kind of so much like like do we think someone's going to get to 30 or 35 or something like that
2: I think that Rory is going – like, Rory should be the highest owned player, and I don't see any reason why people wouldn't use Rory. So, I would – like, he came in at over 30% last week, and it's not like you used Rory and, like, he shit the bed. Like, he came in fourth. So, no one is losing money playing Rory every single week.
0: Yeah, that's probably true. Um, I, I gravitate down towards, and I rarely say this, but Sergio's at a flat eight. I feel like this is more of a, a Ben Raza take to be interested yeah. in, to be interested in Sergio. But I think this is now like the 21st time he's going to be playing this event. Like if you want course experience with a lot of good results mixed in, like Sergio's your guy. He hits the ball well off the tee. He's coming off the, you know, uh, better finishes as of late. Cause there was a stretch where he wasn't playing all that good of golf. It feels like we're kind of past that. So uh he's probably getting some of my looks down at the bottom of this range and then yeah i mean i don't know i, I don't think i'd play jason day i'd, I'd probably just go back to sung jay who's uh clearly a robot at this point
2: yeah sung jay seems to be pretty locked in ben like i actually am considering playing jason day i realize that i might just wake up on thursday and like i have burnt lit my money on fire but i don't think anyone's going to use him
1: no no one's going to use them i mean that's it's just i don't think there's really any answer besides it's just a risk tolerance like, if you get a non-withdraw, it's it, like, if I knew for 100% certain he wasn't going to withdraw at this ownership, I had 100% get over. You're just importing some serious risk that he's hurt, uh, you know, long-term, and he withdraws again. I'm doing the same thing. I guess I'm splitting the difference. This guy's not hurt, but he, he's Rose. playing like he's hurt. I'm using Rose. Uh, <laughs> he showed some signs of life. He just couldn't putt for a change. That's an improvement in my mind. I really, you know, the 9K range, of course, there's some big names but I really like the upper eights Uh, decky. makes sense to me. No problem being on that chalk. I like Ricky quite a bit and I like Rose as well.
2: So if you're looking to avoid ownership, Rose is kind of the key and just to kind of piggyback on what you said, lost almost six strokes putting at Bay Hill, but gained almost three on approach in two rounds and gained off the tee. Couldn't chip, couldn't putt. And he even got away with like what probably should have been a penalty too. Hideki. I really like. and I don't know what to do with him, but like if you really want to get away from ownership and have like if you want to use a Rory or one of the really high owned guys in the 9s, let's say Bryson. And then you went to Ricky and Rose, like people aren't using those two guys. And Fowler might actually have most of my interest because that's out of one hole at Bay Hill. He actually played kind of well.
0: That's actually that's actually pretty reasonable. It took a it took a 9 out there right as his highest score ever. He made yep. another big number on on Sunday. Uh, obviously has solved the puzzle around sawgrass in the past. That's I I would probably lean Ricky over Hideki just because I can't stand to watch Hideki hold a putter in his hand any longer. Um, But how about like, okay, so there's there's some guys here who don't have great course history at all. And one of them is Gary Woodland, who's kind of mixed bag of results bad than good, but eighth at the Honda 12th in Mexico, great off the tee, good ball striker. Shouldn't this be a place that, that Gary Woodland finds success?
2: absolutely and i always talk about it that gary woodland despite being a bomber you want to get him at these shorter courses where he puts a three wood in his hand significantly improves yeah. his improves his off the tee and just gets himself dialed in just with him it, it's a lot like these other guys like uh, we talk about ben ann and cory connors every single week but gary woodland is like the a-plus version of those guys like the putter can go really really poorly but he's so locked in And he's not as bad of a putter as those guys. Like it can be more consistent. Plus he's turned out really quality results in Florida in the past. That's the thing with Scott that I think that people forget, like he's won the players he's won at Doral. He's won the Honda classic. He just tends to play well in Florida. I think Ben, I think that's a real thing. Like guys in Florida, it's just completely different golf.
1: Yeah, it's, it is. I mean, these swings are, you know, there's something to that. And I think there's something to, Listen, it's nice to see experience and, and good experience at a course, but I think just playing at, the, at Sawgrass is important. Like, I would much rather have Woodland's results than a guy with basically no course history. Uh, I don't worry about that, especially with good players. Like, again, not to harp on this, but Gary Woodland, we've seen enough from him at courses that are similar to know that there's nothing I can see that would cause him long-term problems at this event.
2: So another player who has had really mixed results at this tournament, not like the missed cuts like Gary Woodland has, but Ben, he's your guy. I mean, he basically won you 100K in the Thunderdome at the Masters. He's playing maybe his best stretch of golf ever right now, and it's Patrick Reed.
1: Yeah, man. And and no one likes him, and that's great for DFS because people just don't play him. Won uh, in Mexico was good at API. I have no problem with him. It's just it's not a big opportunity cost because it's so soft, but there are so many guys that I want to get over with in the eight K range. He's in there. I'm going to try to have exposure. I'm just hoping that like 15% gets me leverage. And it's not something where I really need to dip uh, into like the twenties to get massive leverage. That would be annoying.
2: Rick, he has the perfect shot shape for this, too. He has the perfect shot shape for Augusta. He has the perfect shot shape for this course to really try to swing it around the water. It could bring water into play for him, but if he's been driving the ball as well as he has, the irons are dialed in, and... It's funny. There's a few players like this, and we've seen with Webb where he's been able to sustain himself, especially on Bermuda Greens, year after year, or not even year after year, but tournament after tournament. Reed, and there's another guy we'll get to later. It's not that he putts well every week. It's just that when he putts well, he putts really well.
0: Yeah, he just in like his last six measured starts. He has one event where he gained eleven strokes putting. He has another where he gained nine. You go back a little more than that, he's gained six. Like you're you're right. It's not like he's going six negative, six positive, nine negative, nine positive, but he can pop off with the putter and roll everything in for four rounds, and it's super scary. Uh yeah, I I like Patrick Reed. I mean, I, I still think we're on the Patrick Reed revenge tour. Uh, where he's going to just go out and kind of just flip the middle finger to everybody, you know, Terrell Hatton style and win as many of these as he can all year. So um, a a motivated golfer is certainly a dangerous golfer.
2: So Ben, just looking at this board right now, do you think you could feasibly start a team Fowler, Reed, Casey, Finau and go on your way?
1: Yeah. I I don't know if it'd be those four per se, but yes, I, I will probably start a couple teams with Ricky. Uh, and it's him in particular for me because I I think he's very live to win. Um, I don't think I'd start teams with Deke and it's not because I don't like him. I just wouldn't, like that in terms of my win equity on my teams
2: so as it pertains to finau rick i actually i actually bet him at 60 to 1 and i never bet tony finau and i was shocked i was when the initial odds came out he was like 40 i was like eh don't like that very much then the monday odds come out and all of a sudden he's 60 to 1 i was like yeah, that i can work with i can get the each way on that we'll be good here play pay a 15 to 1 for a top six that sounds like tony's range perfectly but he didn't play all that poorly last week like he gained 5.2 5.2 strokes on approach last week in two rounds. Lost five on the greens, and he lost two off the tee, but he's never lost off the tee at the players before. So I'm actually kind of confident, that like, he'll get the driver back going. And it seems like there are parts of his games that are really clicking right now, but the overall results haven't been good. So I think people are finally, and I say this with a grain of salt, because Fino tends to be one of the most popular players, especially in this kind of event. But I think that people are lo- overlooking him just a little bit.
0: Yeah, I think, I think that's the big caveat. If, if Finau does come in at, I don't know, sub-12%, I'd probably be pretty surprised because he is generally very popular. But you're right. I mean, it's not like he's been playing poorly for a long stretch. It's been two tournaments. Before that, he was, he was just fine. And what we didn't really get into about Sawgrass is, you know, only six holes played under par last year, uh, and four of them were the par five. So you have to, like, make your hay – on a lot of these par fives, you've got, you know, they're basically all reachable, but when you hit it as far as Tony Finau does, he brings a lot of these par fives into play. Eagles are now an opportunity, which is a, a huge component of, of draft King scoring. So I don't mind that because I think he has a lot of upside, especially here.
2: Yeah. And I'm probably just going to dig back in on Casey. I bet him as well. at 60 to one. Just, I can't quit Paul Casey. He only wins in Florida <laughs> and he used to play this tournament really well till last year when everyone used him. So maybe that's going to scare some people off. Ben, I have one guy I need to talk to you about because I know that I would say 100% you're going to use him and probably significantly. Uh, He's not only playing like trash. uh, His results are real mixed here, but it's Louie.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is, to me, and I I say this seriously, I think this is the perfect time to use, the the time to jump off Louis is when he's playing well, honestly, because to me there's almost no correlation between how he's recently played and how he will play. Uh, But with the ownership on him, it's extremely correlated. So when, when Louie amassed his ownership, listen, I mean, at a high variance course, it'd be an easy fade. Coming off some of the more extreme stats I've ever seen in a bad way, uh, at Mexico, he was horrible. He was bad at Honda as well. No one's going to use him, and, and this is a guy that, to me, can flip a switch anytime. Do I think he's going to play well? Honestly, not really, but at 7 8%, uh, if I could get leverage with just that, It's a huge bargain and a huge steal when you're trying to beat 100,000 people for a million dollars.
2: What if I told you that his projected ownership as we stand, as we speak right now, is around 1.7 percent?
1: That's what I'm talking about. You see, that's like I don't think people understand. You want to just think about that long term. You don't have to get that situation right too many times for it to be a profitable move.
2: Yeah, can you Mm kind of dig into that just a little bit? Because you're uh, probably the best person I know when it comes to game theory. And I talk about it a lot. I know Rick talks about it too, but putting it into practice is one thing, but then not being deterred by the results is another thing. So if he comes in at 2%, you take that 100% of the time, even if he misses the cut or not,
1: right? Absolutely, because when you think about it, if you could run that unlimited times, if he's better to really be super useful more than 2%, you're getting a bargain there relative to the field. Uh, There's a lot of ways that he's really useful. Um, I think he's very live to do major damage. And when you run it enough, the results won't matter. There's going to be a lot of times at 2%, he's going to be dead for last. And those times you're like, oh man, I shouldn't have done that. But over time, when you get paid off, think about the small amount of people that are getting paid off with you. And that's how you create leverage. And that makes the difference long-term.
2: And that's what you did with Reed at the Masters, right?
1: correct it's the same it's really the same concept um and the thing to remember is you're going to get it wrong more than you get it right that's why they're two percent owned uh when a guy's 50 percent owned you better be hitting that play an astronomical amount of the time because when you don't uh you don't have to churn it that many times with louis you get him right once or twice a year it can pay off in a big way
2: so once we dip into the sevens rick that same principle applies to someone else who I have projected below 2%. Guess what his name is?
0: Oh, below 2? Uh, I hope it is either Stenson or Benny It is Jordan Ben.
2: Man, everyone's going to use Ben Ann. Uh, I uses don't know, man. man. Everyone He's uses every, him every single week. We Basically, Ben Ann is heroin. So people can't just quit him. You can barely ease <laughs> off of him. Like, you need. You can't just cold turkey quit Ben Ann. You need to go to treatment. You need to start <laughs> using like a bit of Keegan Bradley on the side, some Corey Connors before you can just let go of Ben Ann. The answer to the question is Jordan Spieth.
0: Oh, Jordan Spieth, who actually, the the mar- the Vegas markets are actually kind of uh, catching up on Jordan Spieth. They're like 18 months late, but I saw he was like 85 to 1 at some books. But uh, yeah, I mean, I-, I think the same principle applies. I honestly think probably Louie uh, gets there more often than Jordan Spieth does at this point.
2: Yeah, so, Ben, I guess that's my question for you. Knowing that both are coming in at super low ownership, because Louie has a track record of doing this and Spieth just looks like he's bad, the move would be Louie over Spieth, right?
1: Not even close for me. Yeah, that's, listen, and I, if you if you told me you wanted to sprinkle Spieth, I get it. I just don't see any reason why he would turn it on here. Uh, he just looks broken. The players, I, I don't know what to really make of it. You know, he came out that first time and then it was Since then, it's been terrible Uh, in terms of the course history. I'm not really interested in speed. There's just too many other names that I want exposure to.
2: In terms of actual ownership in the 7K range, it does appear like two guys, at least in the upper 7K, is where everyone seems to be going. And it's Morikawa and it's Matt Kuchar. And Rick, I can't really make a case against them.
0: Uh, Yeah, I mean, Matt Kuchar is almost always kind of like the free space in these like big soft, uh, soft pricing fields. He's always like 78, 76, something in there. He's almost like a free space. The Morikawa stuff uh, is completely warranted. I mean, 10 straight events where he's gained in both strokes gained off the tee and strokes gained approach. He is legitimately like one of the best ball strikers on the planet. Um, I don't care that he has never played here before. Every course that he plays, he's never played before. He's got the current longest cut streak. Now that Tommy Fleetwood missed the cut, like the kid is an absolute stud. He will be heavily owned and you just have to decide whether you want to be on him or off.
2: Ben, since turning professional, he's never missed a cut.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's, not only does he never miss a cut, he gets eagles, (laughs) he should be, he should need eagle streaks to get the bonus because that guy gets eagles- at an astronomical rate, um, I don't know really know why that's happening. His short game is bad. His putter is bad. You can look at it two ways. You can say, and we talk about this with Benny on, if Morikawa gains zero strokes putting this week, you gotta like his chances. Uh, now, if the ball striking comes down, he's gonna have a massive problem because he can't bail himself out around the green right now. Massive ownership. He's a great play. I will probably hedge him in cash and come underweight in tournaments.
2: Uh, I think that as much as I love playing Morikawa, I play him almost every single week, that this is the particular type of tournament where blowups happen. That it, it He just reminds me of Paul Casey from last year, that he is setting up perfectly on paper. The stats, I mean, his approach game has been much better than what even Casey's was entering this tournament last year. But one shot, two shots, they go in the water. All of a sudden, if you don't have him, and he does miss the cut then you've boxed out one fourth of the field and that's really what you're playing for in these big contests rick
0: yeah i I am kind of on the same boat with you because i do play him so often it's kind of easy for me to be like okay this is the one week now that we're going to get astronomical astronomical ownership that i can probably just avoid him and i'll try again next week right so I, i don't i feel like i'm not missing out on much by by fading him so that's probably the approach that i'm going to take and then i'll just go find somebody else down here i mean even if He's kind of a worse version, but Scotty Scheffler like led the field in strokes gained tee to green last week. Uh, I think he finished fourth in DraftKings scoring despite finishing a t fifteen. Like I, that, that's someone I could easily find myself sweating again this week.
2: So I like Scheffler as well. And it, especially when you talk about the par five scoring and potentially generating Eagles, we know Morikawa is going to do that. Scheffler seems like he can do that as well. Uh, ben, the other two guys that are generating a lot of interest, and I think that they're both fades, unfortunately, because I do like their chances Hatton and Berger.
1: So yeah, Hatton, that's a weird situation because again, the pricing came out early and, and, and he wins. <laughs> I I mean, Berger is tough for me. I, I love to play him. He's been playing better sets up very well. Um, listen, I think it's just about overall lineup construction. You know, if you've used Webb and Decky and Morikawa, I'm not sure that Berger is your next piece in, uh, that's not the answer, but there's no doubting the form he's holding it together off the tee. The rest of the game is, is great, but I want to throw in Leishman as well from the sevens. You know, he is just putting on a clinic with the approach and with the putter. And I mean, When you talk about Sawgrass, it's literally be good with your irons and make some putts when I think about what I'd want.
2: Yeah, so in four of his past five tournaments, Leishman has gained at least 4.6 strokes on approach. (laughs) Yeah, that'll work. I mean, even at Sony this year, if he hadn't bled so many shots on the green, he probably would have won at Sony. It's just so funny to watch him at Bay Hill like, the putting was so immaculate but like he is someone you talked about Reed it's like oh he gains nine he loses nine Reed doesn't do that he gains either a bit loses a bit or gains a ton Leishman is the exact opposite like he's gaining eight or losing five it's really bizarre
0: yeah he actually broke Tori in the way that you're not supposed to beat it which is he missed every fairway and then like gouged it out to to 15 feet and made every putt so it's it's kind of a weird situation it's it's weird to watch and be like how is this guy still contending but uh, week in and week out it seems to find a way
2: so ben and you're right maybe not be not as popular i believe he was the first round leader here last year so you know the ball striking is going to show up just keep out of the water benny and don't four putt three of the greens in a round maybe you're looking okay but ben does he strike you as like a cash play if nothing else
1: yeah listen i think he's fine he's an incredible scrambler he lost nine strokes putting last week it is what it is <laughs> uh yeah I, I think he's fine I, i'm not i don't have a strong stance and that kind of Breeds cash play. Morikawa is certainly going to be extremely popular for cash. Kucher probably as well, knowing his Pete die track. So there's a lot of options in that upper sevens in terms of safety. Uh,
2: any interest in Stenson, who was still pretty lights out with the irons last week?
1: Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's tough. Listen, it's an opportunity cost. We haven't seen him much. He last week I, I didn't think was a red flag, but at the same time. I'm not sure exactly where he's, he, he's almost a cash play too, which is crazy to say. There's a lot of them in this range. Well,
2: Rick, the big thing with Stenson is that he keeps bleeding so many strokes off the tee that you can't yeah. really use him. But I mean, you need to hit driver at Bay Hill. You can't contend really. I mean, he's done it in the past, but once you start having that wind that, you know, if you put your trusty three wood in the bag, it's probably not going to work out too well with the conditions like we saw them last week at Sawgrass. I think it's a different story.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, the the irons are are no problem, right? He was awesome again last week. But to lose two strokes in a single round off the tee is a pretty significant red flag. And then now I think we're going to a place where I don't know if it can be more penal here. I guess it depends on some of the wins that are going to kick up. But it's also not like it's not going to help you if you if you can't hit the fairway or can't be on the right side of it. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm like very lukewarm. I'm I'm not that interested in in Stensum.
2: The only reason I became interested, because it does look like he's going to, like, with Morikawa and Kucher and even Leishman sucking up a lot of the ownership in that upper $7,000 level, it just, it doesn't seem, a lot like Rose. Like, a lot of people used Rose last week, a lot of people used and they sucked, so now no one wants to use them now all of a sudden Stenson's coming in at like 6% ownership at a place where he's won before and on paper this does seem like a course where he could be really good and there's one other guy here Ben did you see the report about Shane Lowry that he admitted that he's going to be watching the horse racing from his phone while he's on the course so he's like basically us
1: <laughs> yeah I mean I, I I did not hear that um I don't want to say I wasn't a Shane Lowry fan till this moment right now but this is certainly helping his cause I'm all about the ponies so Good for him. That is a a respectable move. I don't know if I have any interest in him, but uh, I'm all about the horse racing uh, fans out there.
2: So does that mean you're just going to play in honor of his decision to skip the players and go to the horse racing event? You'll, you'll play out of tribute Lee Westwood.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll put it like this. If I play Westwood, I'll correlate that with my tiger teams and just and day, get them all in there together. But yeah, I I saw that with Lee Westwood. I respect that decision uh, going to watch the races instead of playing.
2: All right, so who scores higher this week than Rick? Tiger, who's not playing, Lee Westwood, who's not playing, or Francesco Molinari, who actually might play.
0: Uh it's got to be close. It's got to be really close because the way Molinari's playing, uh he might find you a couple of negatives. Yeah, I mean that's that's quite the uh quite the dilemma you've got there. How much is how much is Molinari?
2: 71, I believe he is.
0: Oh geez. yeah. That's bad. I mean, okay. So, so this is a par 72. It's like 7,100 yards. Um, What about Abraham answer? He's not going to bomb it. He's going to hit a lot of fairways. He can roll putts. He's one of the few guys in this field, let alone in this range that gain strokes in all four categories. Like, I don't know, 7,200 bucks. He's kind of got me interested.
2: I don't really know what to do with answer. I'm not a big answer guy. I do really like him, but I felt like the president's cup was his peak. And then I've just been trying to avoid him ever since, but he's been playing pretty well, to tell you the truth. Like, he keeps making every cut, and we talk about sort of, like, the corollaries. Like, he played well at Sony, he played well at the OHL, he didn't play the RSM, which would have been nice. But you're right, he just keeps gaining off the tee almost every single week. He's not the best around the greens, but, like, the approaches have generally been pretty good. So, I I don't know. There's guys in this range down here that I like a little bit better but he's sort of on that like periphery of if I really load up and go heavy percentages with the guys up top, like I cut down the first 25 players to five players and that's my core. And I almost start to take more of a scatter shot approach down in this level. He would be in there, but if I tighten up down low, then all of a sudden, then he might find himself on the outside looking in. What do you make of it, Ben?
1: So I don't really have a strong take on answer. What, the problem for me is I'm going to counter with Ryan Moore at the same price. Uh, he's someone that last week he was really atypical. He gained off the tee, was awful with the putter and with the approach. Those things I expect to regress immediately. Um, now I hope he can keep it up off the tee. I'm not sure about that, but he's traditionally a good iron player. This is not going to require distance. And this is a small thing. I don't think this is a huge deal, but despite not playing well in the weekend, he closed Sunday. Uh, with a uh, bogey-free round around Bay Hill, which is, if you saw those conditions, you know how impressive that is. So I do think that's a good catalyst for him this week. 7200 not going to be popular.
2: So Ryan Moore, I think I can dig, and you're right, that he's not going to be popular whatsoever. The guys that I had identified from down in this level, one was Billy Horschel, who just continues to play pretty well in all facets of the game. He's $7,500, like that. He's a Florida guy. And I love Brant Snedeker. I just keep looking at all the corollaries, and like the main corollaries that I'm thinking about. The Wyndham, Heritage, you can throw Sony in there, you can throw Pebble Beach into there. He's basically won at all these places, and he was top five at this tournament last year, but he is the guy almost like Patrick Reed, where he never really loses a lot putting when he loses, but when he hits, like over his past 11 tournaments, he's gained at least... 3.6 3.6 strokes putting in six of them like when he starts putting like if you see at day one that he's putting well he's live to win one of these tournaments
0: he's kind of interesting because his course history is so kind Erratic. of polarized yeah right so he's he's played here 11 times he's got seven missed cuts but he also has like three top 12s it's like nothing in between he's either in contention on the first page of the late of the leaderboard or he's not playing the weekend
2: but I think that's almost how you need to, the that's approach what, you need to take at this tournament is, I'm probably going to lose because it's <laughs> so wildly unpredictable. At least give me the guy who's going to pop if he plays well.
0: Yeah, I mean, you would prefer that he has at least, you know, top 10 upside as as opposed to he's just going to finish, you know, T38 every single year. I definitely agree with that. Uh,
2: ben, any use for like the Bubbas, the Poulters, the Kisners, that type of player?
1: So,
0: Poulter, uh, I'm just going to continue to
1: play him. I really liked him at Honda. I thought he played better than he scored. I rolled that over to API and literally the same thing happened. Um, If he can just hold it together off the tee, I think he sets up pretty well. Uh, Just depends though. Like, you know, each lineup is unique. If I'm looking for a guy to win the tournament down here, Sneds would be the guy. You know, I think his win equity is always high because he can get crazy hot. If I'm looking for someone to make the cut, I probably go to a guy like Poulter, a guy like Ryan Moore.
2: Uh, from the 72, 71, and $7,000 guys, the only one who really sticks out, and he's probably like the worst of all these players in terms of pure skill, but I'm thinking short course Bermuda grass popped up a little bit last week. He was in contention until the wind got the best of him, but the Todd father is someone no one's going to use, Rick, and wouldn't this just be the cap to his year, his third win of the season?
0: Oh man, yeah, he is probably the worst out of this group. Um, it, it is weird because he, he can go on runs, and that's kind of what he did at a point where he I don't think he actually touched the lead. I think he got in a second for like five seconds before he gave it gave it away, then he got it back. It's like he was all over the place, and obviously, you know, Bayhill was biting back last week, but yeah, that would be a heck of a capper on a year for uh, you know, Brendan Todd already to have his third win in March.
2: Ben, can I can I sell you on Brendan Todd?
0: Probably not.
1: Um, listen, it's just so hard because when you look at him, if you take a long-term view, the data at the back end is bad and you get a weird view. If you take a short-term view, you're like, is this a, Like, is this really the player uh, with the double wins? And I'm not sure. I'm sure it falls somewhere in between. I usually go for long-term pedigree, and that's probably why, you know, feel the burn, uh, RCB, guys like that uh, ahead of him in, in my rankings, I'd say.
2: Well, I looked at the early forecast, and it seems like Saturday could get really windy, but Thursday and Friday appear, at least right now, relatively normal. So if I knew that we were going to get conditions like last week, I would go back to Hatton. I would take Weisberger, I'd play Matthew Fitzpatrick. I'd play RCB. But if conditions are going to be, like, pristine, Todd gets so fucking hot when he's on that, like, he He could go out and fire a 61 at this course.
1: Again, I mean, I mean, for me, I, and this is why I preach this, like I will build lineups where I think there's going to be a massive hurricane that randomly comes in and I'll have (laughs) guys like Fitzy correlated with the other guys where I hope the winning score is like seven under, then I'll have guys who just want to flag hunt and maybe Brendan Todd will come in on those teams where it's just like this turns into the John Deere somehow and let's just go low.
2: I mean, if it turns into the 37th major, the John Deere classic, then Mm. your Ryan Moore pick is definitely coming through.
1: That's what I'm, see, it's all coming together. (laughs) It's the long con over here. Uh, Rick, the 6K range,
2: if you wanted to get into the draw for 20 DK bucks, for which you are ineligible by smashing the like button, leaving your DraftKings handle in the comment section, and giving me your favorite of these guys down here, who you got?
0: Wait, I've been, I've been smashing the like button all these years and I'm not eligible for the draws. That's pretty messed up, Pat.
2: I I Um, go and I go and like all your videos on the Rick Run Good YouTube channel and I don't get in the giveaways.
0: Much appreciated. You're right. You're also ineligible. Um, I think, I mean, I know where the ownership's going and it's for good reason. I think uh, Max Homa and Joel Damon are going to suck it all up. and, And I was probably more impressed with because he had that four-tournament stretch uh, earlier in the year where it was back-to-back-to-back-to-back to back to back to back weeks, and he was just piling up top 15 finishes. And I was like, is, is he any good or is he just riding a heater? And then he took a couple of weeks off from the Genesis to last week at the API, and he comes back and he has another top 25, which I think to me proves that he is just a little bit better maybe than i anticipated because i was just kind of saying he's you know like like tom hoagie gets hot for three weeks in a row or mark hubbard gets hot for for three or four weeks in a row and then they fall off the face of the earth i'm I'm trying to figure out what homa is and i think he's better than that i think he is a solid player
2: yeah so ben rick identified the two guys that everyone's going for (laughs) homa and damon like people are legit i mean and they've both been awesome like damon has been especially good and He hits every fairway, which really helps at a tournament like this and played really well at the players in his debut last year, too, back-to-back top tens. He's looking pretty good. But in the 6K range, if these are the guys that beat me, then they beat me. I'm good with just not playing either of them and taking the other random guys in the $6,000 range if I want to build that way.
1: I'm I'm more with that than not. I I like Damon is fine. Um, I'm not sure I'll get to, to Max Homa, even though he somehow weaseled through that cut. No respect. Uh, really wanted that to be Maverick, but that's neither here nor there. There's guys. I mean, the weird thing is most of the guys that I really like are actually sub 6,500. So that's a unique building point. Um, in the upper sixes, I mean, listen, I'm yeah. Go- well, yeah, him, Russell Knox is right there uh, who may or may not be broken. And then I know this doesn't qualify for your giveaway, and I'm sure I'm ineligible but Aaron Wise, flat oh seven. God, man. Um, don't Aaron Wise showed some life at Honda. Uh, did he? Yeah. Did no, he make? He did. Did, did he make the cut? He made the cut, and that is life. Um, <laughs> he's alive and well. Gained 4.5 on the approach, gained a little with the putting. Maybe the change to Bermuda can help. Long term pedigree, like I said, this is a guy who made the cut in all four majors last year. I know that form seems where has that been? Uh, The only sign of life was at Bermuda, which I honestly don't even know what that tournament is. (laughs) I'm going to play him, and he will possibly be under 1% owned. So another deep flyer at flat seven.
2: Yeah, 35th, the Honda gained four and a half strokes on approach. So the other guys I was looking at, I was surprised that Andrew Landry rated out really well for me, and he already has the win this year uh, on Bermuda, even though it was in California at the American Express, and he's made the cut in both of his turns here. Rick, what do you make of KH Lee?
0: Oh, um, K H Lee's interesting. And I, I've had, I've actually played probably more than I should have over the course of the past couple of weeks, some good and some bad, but uh, he's an interesting player because he can kind of pop, right? I mean, we're talking top 15 from a sub $7,000 guy is what I would consider popping here. Uh, four cuts in a row. Like, I, I think he's fine. I'm not excited to play him. I'd probably rather play Christian bezoiden who, who's right there as well, but like, yeah, I think he's fine
2: uh bezoid knew it was my my guy last week until he blew up on the back nine on sunday i was, I was he, he had me like nearing the top even with a fifth five of six lineup with everything that was going on and then he finally ended up in like a, a tie for top south african with dylan fratelli after shooting seven over so that wasn't great but i was really impressed with his game last week yeah. like he doesn't have a ton of distance but he seems to hit enough fairways it does seem like round to round he can kind of get scorching with his irons and then his short game and putting just appears to be really good
0: there, there becomes a point down here where I'd almost rather not see someone's resume or not have seen the film on them. Like there was always this joke about Sam Bradford in the NFL. Like the worst thing that he can do is get more game reps on film. Like that only hurts his value. I feel like that way with some of these guys, like was and Hoot, I know so little about that he might be really good, right? Like he's like a top 50 player in the world. I almost would prefer guys that I don't know enough about because I, I might not know that they're really good.
2: So, Ben, if you had to choose between two guys at the similar price, would it be Bezoidenhut or would it be Victor Perez from France?
1: No, it would be the – I'll roll with South Africa <laughs> as I normally do. Um, I, again, I've seen him a little just because of, of uh, over in Europe, but he looked good. Yeah, it was just playing with Rory, him and Rory not clicking on Sunday. Who was the – just out of curiosity, who was the miscut on that team, Pat?
2: Uh, uh, Alexander Norin was the guy who oh. <laughs> absolutely destroyed me.
1: Yeah. He did you, well, not to go off course, but his back now I was sweating him too. Yeah. He was making Eagles. He was making doubles. He was all over the place on Friday.
2: Yeah. It was not great. Yeah. He chipped in no. for Eagle to get within one of the cut line on 16. And I was just begging like, give me one here. Like 17 stuff, 18 stuff. Like no one's really making birdies. Like chip it in again, do something. I think he went bogey double to close.
1: Yeah. Not good.
2: Thank, thanks for showing up, Alexander. No Ren, as Cust would say. Uh, the only other one I have pegged here, like, yeah, I, I'm trying my best not to play Corey Connors. Or Gr- How about Grillo, Ben? You love Grillo.
1: So, <laughs> Rick just brought up, and I don't think this is what you meant, but I'll say this. Grillo, with the genius move to get DQ'd, because now his round two stats don't show up. Uh, that's <laughs> <Nice>. a mind <Megamind laughs> genius play, and he was about 15 over when he did that, so... I don't know what else to really make of him. I can't tell what he did. He he signed an incorrect scorecard. I'd rather play Aaron Wise. I'll put it to you like that. If I'm going to take a pure flyer.
2: Griot, Wise, Russell. I think Russell Knox has the worst score on 17 of anyone of all time.
1: I remember that was, I had him that week. That was like one of my first, I was like, oh, this is going. DFS golf is great. And (laughs) just so many, so many water balls. Uh, even from the, you know, you, you, go in the water and then you go to the, the other area. I think he tried to, to hit it again before he went there.
0: Yeah. Cause the drop zone's even harder than the actual shot. It's like an awkward yardage and you go yep. dump another one in from there. Yeah, no, he, he, he had multiple water balls. I think at both points, it was, it was not great.
2: That was the year that
1: Jason day won, wasn't it? It was, I think it was 2016. I is, is that the year that Day won?
2: Yeah, because I, yeah. like, I feel like Knox and Day were up there. And there was because the third round that year at the Players, something happened to the greens. Like they, they rolled them too hard and no one could putt. It was like putting on a sheet of glass. And there was some old dude who kept making every putt and was like 700. It was like Ken Duke or something like that.
1: The Duke. Um, I remember the year that Ken Duke was like battling. Let's I, see. I, I, bl- I
2: believe that was the year, 2016.
1: Yeah, it was. So Ken, Ken Duke came in third, day one, chapel, second, Colt Nose third. What a world. My God.
2: Hey, Colt Nose has gone from coming third at the players to retiring and being a broadcaster three years later.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the way Knox is playing lately, that <laughs> might be the formula from the 2016 alumni and day two, honestly.
2: I'm telling you, man, day day's going to come like second this week. Just watch. And LA, like, he'll be 0% owned because that's a, that's the difference between like Molinari's injury and day's injury is that I actually worry less about day because I've seen him do this a bunch of times that with Molinari, I just assume he's like actually hurt and not good.
0: Yeah day has at least played this game multiple times where he Wds and he walks off and it looks like he's never gonna walk again and then he fires it up and goes and wins something. Yeah that's that's certainly true. This is all part this is all built into the ownership and built into our perception of Jason Day. We know this story.
2: Yeah, it's basically a Jason Day Ponzi scheme. This is what he's running here.
1: <laughs> there is sure. something to that, though. Like, just to go back to Usti for a second, like, Day does this, and you kind of know what you're getting, so it doesn't it doesn't alarm me nearly as much as if this was a random guy, and it's like, wow, he's never done that before.
2: Only other one from up here. I'm looking for the Jim Furyk of this year. So Pepperell came third last year, Furyk came second feel like if we combine those two players into one person it's graham mcdowell
0: oh uh i won't speak to that i i I was hoping you were going to find a way to get to johnny vegas who's sixty three hundred dollars and i believe or at least i will convince myself that he found something in the final round of the Puerto Rico open. He was like 10 under par, uh, shot the best round of the day, goes out and makes the cut at the Honda finishes 27th finished third here. Fun fact has the longest putt ever made on 17 on Sunday. It was like from fringe to that back, right uh, Sunday pin location. So they'll show that this week. Don't worry.
2: He was also first round leader at Honda last year too. So we had some form coming in. I don't think one round in Puerto Rico is going to really sway it for me with old Johnny.
0: The only skill set he has is is off the tee. So at least that's the one that I'm like, oh, that's really important this week. And that's the only thing he can do well. So if we're really, you know, grasping down here, he'll probably get a couple looks from me.
2: I mean, was there any more negative to anyone's career ever than the Canadian Open never being held at Glen Abbey again?
1: Yeah, that was a killer for him that's he, true
2: you just win just anytime you go to Glen abbey then all of a sudden if somehow there's a president's cup that's at Glen abbey like 10 years from now johnny vegas will be like 60 like get him out of retirement and get him on the team because he's going to be the best player there he's the dustin all about that what uh, just him winning there every year just
0: him just like destroying that like that has been purged from my memory yeah
2: yeah well they don't play it's good thing you're wiping out the courses that don't exist anymore at least they're <laughs> right. never going back to it. it's probably a sharp move So let's get to the $6,500 and below because I think we've all been kind of dancing around it that we all like a lot of guys from down here, which is not good because we all said we don't really want to load up with, like, the superstars. Because if you wanted to play a Rory-Rom, Rory-JT, Rom-JT lineup, like, you could use two, feasibly use two of these guys and not feel too bad about it. So here's a list of guys I don't mind from down here. One, Russell Henley. Oh, yeah. Two, JT Poston. Three, Jimmy Walker, and four, I'm going to steal your guy, Raza, and I'm going to say Jason Duffner.
1: Everybody, I should – you should be able to get patents on, guys. That's a genius DFS idea because I played Duffner like three weeks ago at courses when no one wanted him, and now he's starting to play better, and I don't know if I'm ever going to get paid off from that. I'm just going to throw in Bud Cawley and then – brick it's all yours because i think bud call is another staple of my lineups this week
0: man i actually already mentioned vegas but um i i okay so this is weird because the bottom of these player pools we were talking about this before we went on air are usually complete garbage and they're like past champions at the masters or whatever but like zach johnson is a reputable professional golfer on the pga tour who has played here like 13 times and made the cut 11 of them and has a second place finish and has made his last two cuts like that is a lot from a guy who's six thousand any other any other week you never get that
2: i think i'm just gonna galaxy brain myself into jimmy walker instead
0: <laughs> i can't wait to see how that plays out. poorly <laughs> i know how this goes
2: like I, I see i do love jimmy walker i really do i've won a lot of money with jimmy walker and it was like five years ago but i'm still holding out. he's a major champion ben
1: yeah, there's some low-key, bizarre world. Ma- this is a-, a range where you've got major champions uh, that people may or may not. Duffner would fall in that category. I-, I will say Jimmy Walker has been at times nuclear hot with the irons lately. Um, API was good. He always has Lyme disease swag. You can never discount that. I just, for me, I'd probably go with Zach Johnson first.
2: Is there any world with this much water on a course where you play
1: chess and Hadley? (laughs) Uh, Well, if there's actually no wind to the point where there's just zero mile per hour wind, because if he ever has to scramble, it's over and he can get hot. But no, that's not on my priority list this week.
2: Yeah, like there there are so many just names down here that I would play at like $6,800 in a random week, Rick. Like Adam Long. Adam Long's pretty good.
0: I play Adam long a lot and he's always more expensive than this. Cause yeah, he's like, okay, he doesn't hit the ball very far, but he can make some birdies or, or like, I play Sebastian Munoz a lot who, you know, gets to the first page of the leaderboard like Friday afternoon and he makes the cut and then he finishes T 63 or something like that. But yeah, I mean, these are actual golfers that I have rostered before and now they're $800 cheaper than they, than they usually are.
2: Uh, I know you brought up his name as kind of, kind of a joking fashion, but like, if you do take the approach, like if I'm in on Todd, and I think that Todd can translate his skill set to this course pretty well, so can Mark Hubbard. That
0: guy makes birdies. Uh, Okay, so how much is Hubbard? I was just looking at him. 6000 Okay, even 6000 uh, <laughs> I don't know if it is still the case, but Mark Hubbard at one point like four weeks ago was the most valuable DraftKings golfer in like the last – uh 18 months because is is he's always outperforming his salary so I don't know if that's still the case uh I'd have to pull it up but he is generally underpriced for what he returns to you on DraftKings.
2: so the one guy we didn't talk about in the sevens and we tend to talk about every week Rick when you come on is your boy Lonto
0: yes Yes, and he and he's and he's I think seventy one hundred dollars this week. He made the cut again last week. Now the the stat that I threw out in terms of the value that he returns uh, is not going to be ten times for last week, but like nothing was. I mean, the winner scored ninety four DraftKings points or something like that, so everybody was pretty low. But another made cut. Uh, no disrespect or no respect from the guys on on the DraftKings uh, salary pricing team. I imagine that's quite the squad. But yeah, no love for Lonto.
1: Ben, are you in on Lanto? No, no love for Lanto here either. Sorry, Lanto. Uh, listen, <laughs> solid player. I just tend to, in events like this, go with guys who have been there a lot, and you know, I'd rather take like a, a random flyer on like Lucas Glover, just at the top of my mind.
2: Oh, so what you're saying is that you're a Glover lover?
1: Glover lover, more than a Lanto lover. That's right.
2: You could start a fan club. That could be the team
1: name. We already got the. Uh got the name it's off to the races i listen i mean there's a lot of guys like that and i just i don't know where they fall long term you just don't know if he's running hot is he going to regress we may look back and say wow can you believe he was 7100 here like what a steal or we could be like can you believe he was in the players that's insane
0: (laughs) Uh, i don't know Uh, i I have the hubbard stat here for you so it is i've got 14 starts on him uh, averages $6,900 in salary, averages 66.5 nice. DraftKings points for 9.7 times value, Mark Hubbard.
2: That's pretty good, isn't it?
0: I mean, yeah, he's always like, because because he always like is $6,800 and he's just a great fill-in and he rarely burns you. I would imagine is pretty good.
2: Uh, ben, would you like to hear some Bermuda putting split stats? Can I sway totally. you on this sort of stuff? All right, so per fantasynational.com. Over the past 24 rounds, and there's one guy who only has four rounds of data, and that's Bezinute, who did it last week. But the best Bermuda players in the field putting per round over the past 24. Webb Simpson averaging 1.2 strokes gained putting per round on Bermuda grass. So good. so good. Speeth averaging a full stroke. Kazire averaging a full stroke, just like uh, C-Bez, our boy. Sam Burns, Denny McCarthy, no big shocker. Kira Desh, Malnati. Then we get to some interesting guys. M, Poulter, Fitzpatrick, Poston, McDowell, Ricky, Kucher, And I'll leave you with this guy, Harris English, who's playing really well.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that that latter part of that list are guys that I have a lot of interest in. When you mentioned the, the three guys, you know, the Englishman and then Harris English, I don't know what to do with him. He is playing really good golf. It's just the salary. He's priced with guys that I kind of view more favorably when we talk about Fitzy, answer Sned's uh polter so it's just a tough ask for him but those are things to consider listen getting hot on these greens you're gonna need to putt here and those guys are certainly more likely to do it
2: rick can i interest you in some pete Dye numbers (laughs) sure hit me with them (laughs) so pete Dye courses only which you can sort by on fantasy national over the past 24 rounds i'm just looking at t to green here so let's take putting out of it and just talk about t to green rory dustin Cantley scott see woo, kim Kucher, ryan moore bionhan ann gary woodland john rom bryson dechambeau and then it's reed then day then casey then keegan bradley who made a run here two years ago
0: uh those are just like ben those are all the guys i play on a regular basis i'll be loading up on on bryson give me some woodland Kucher, the free space sure let's let's do it i'm all in
2: did anyone stick out to you there ben that you're like huh See, Wu, he's pretty good.
0: <laughs> not see,
1: Wu. Um, you know, the, the guy who, and we didn't really talk about him actually, is who's just interesting. He's really tough to gauge is Kisner. Uh, he's shown so much, but here he's all over the map. And that's a guy that I'm not sure exactly what I'm going to do. I think in the tournaments, of course, you can look to a guy. He's won things, he's won the match play, he can get hot with the putter. But they're again, similar to the Bermuda Slits, I don't think you want to go crazy, but it's something to notice because there is a a type of player that excels at at Pete Dye courses.
2: And just, it's really weird because it seems like he picked his schedule very wisely so far this year. So he starts off at Tournament of Champions, like he plays, all right, and he comes in 14th. Like that's a longer course, but shorter players have played well there in the past, didn't play well. The next week at Sony, like he blasted everyone. T to green, just couldn't make any putts, came in fourth. Then he plays the American Express. That should be good. Misses the cut. He plays Pebble Beach, a short course, comes 38th, but nothing to do with the irons. Plays Mexico, another short course, comes 18th. Most of it is putting, loses with his irons. And he plays last week and loses over four with his irons. So it does seem like, you're right that you can't gauge him, but I do think that he should draw interest from a lot of people like you mentioned the match play he came second at the match play then he won the match play that's a pete die course in austin he's played really well at heritage over the year he's lost in a playoff at this course in the past like i don't know is he someone we should actually consider for the player pool
1: oh i definitely am going to consider him it's just you're you're starting to amass quite a list at 73 when in my mind at least when we've got guys like Poulter, fitzy answer sneds I think he's behind most of those guys for me, but again, it's not a name to just blindly cross off.
2: All right, we'll end with this. Let's pick a winner. And I'll be doing my live chat at 12 p.m. Eastern time on the DraftKings YouTube channel, so you can tune into my entire card. But I'm going to give away one winner, and this guy's going to win for sure. Lock it in. Probably not going to win. But 28 to 1, and he's sub $10,000 on DraftKings for the Players' Championship. Rick, I'm taking Patrick Cantlay. Uh,
0: I don't mind that one bit. Uh, that's that's fine by me i will take the actual winner at 22 to 1 and he is 9100 on DraftKings, and he is jacked out of his mind it's bryson de
1: ben (laughs) i i'm not gonna say i'm gonna take the actual winner but this is the guy i'm about to say (laughs) 8900 adding another players to the resume ricky fowler uh
2: i can assure you jeff feinberg would be very happy and would hit his fourth winner in a row if that happened
1: and that's what he's gonna do because yeah ricky ricky's gonna find a way uh, i think he's playing a lot better than people realize i know we talked about that massive number at api he's quietly i think very live to do damage this week
2: all right rick you already have videos released for the players championship what have you already put out where can they find it when you got coming up
0: I do. First of all, how much would I pay for pricing to come out on the Saturday before? It would be a massive amount. Um, But yeah, so Rick Rungood YouTube channel, DFSondemand.com. My Twitter is at Rick Rungood. We'll have videos. We'll have videos. It's just me. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we'll see what happens after that.
2: Ben, you're over at awesomo.com. Where can everyone find your videos and write-ups?
1: Yeah, we did a first look today. Uh, We can go to the awesomo.com homepage, go to YouTube, our YouTube. See all the videos of shows, and obviously my Twitter, JazzRazzDFS, we'll have them posted. So plenty of content there, projections, ownership, gearing up for what is the uh, the fifth major on tap here.
2: Since there's this like British horse racing thing, you think you're going to get some action in on that?
1: I'll have to look. I mean, I've been you know scouring. This is the season to get ready to try to find the winner for the Derby. The Derby's coming up. There's a couple horses, quietly, that I've got my eye on in that world, so... Soon enough, it, it's Triple Crown season.
2: All right. I'm Pat Mayo. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, where there is a giveaway to do so, at the PME, T-H-E, PME. Subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Leave a five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you like about this show, and you're in a draw for a 100 DraftKings dollars. There's other giveaways. I forgot what they were, but you do those. It involves smashing the like button, I'm sure. FantasyNational.com slash PME will get you 20% off. My DraftKings cheat sheet will be available along with my write-up, which is out currently at DKPlaybook.com. Go back, download the shows, play in the Pat Mayo experience, DraftKings Open. The link is in the description of this video and podcast. And Wednesday, live chat, noon Eastern, DraftKings YouTube channel, and on demand on the audio feed after the fact. Then cut sweat live sometime during the afternoon, probably three thirty, four 4 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Sweating that cut with us on Friday live. And that will do it for me. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm Pat Mayo, and I'll see you next time.